Hi everyone, welcome to the Two Cents Footy Podcast with Jeff, John and JP and we're on week number seven. Welcome everyone. Um, we're going to, we've had, it's been quite a tragic uh, week in the football world with um, the death of Sir Bobby Charlton at the age of 86. Um, profound history and a legend of the game and obviously the penultimate uh, guy in the team from 1966, the World Cup win. Um, we're also going to be talking about mental health. Norwich City put out a gem um, with respect to, you know, looking out for your mates and looking out for their mental health. Pie and a pint, favourite little segment, let's see of John. And we'll be going through a couple of listener questions. But uh, yeah, firstly, JP, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Good. Having a dragon fruit smoothie, which is one of my six a day. Uh, John, how are you, mate? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm having a water, which doesn't count towards my five a day. Good. But uh, apparently I'm 70%, so. 70% of you. Uh... <laughs> There's a bit more of me, so maybe 80%. I don't know. <laughs> and JP sporting a PSG shirt. And yeah, probably surprising to John that I've got a certain name on the back as well. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Who is it? Describe to the listeners. I think I think you just um, described him as the real goat of the game last weekend of last podcast. <laughs> I can't believe that I finally converted you. <laughs> Funnily uh, enough, when I was very very young, um, or when both Messi and Ronaldo were, I guess the the new thing. Messi was my favoured out of the two of them, if you'd believe that. <laughs> and then you took a blow to the head and thought Ronaldo was better, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I've got to come to a point where I appreciate them both now, but um, yeah. yeah, I've got a few reasons why I tend to favour Ronaldo in some aspects over, over Messi. But <laughs> I can't sure wait until we, can we, can we get on to that, yeah. <laughs> that is going to be a heck of a topic, that one. Um, yeah, that's going to be a juicy app- one. <laughs> yeah, as you said, we can appreciate both of them now. We we look back with a tear in our eyes that they're both coming. Yeah, and I guess it's a great segue to talk about another legend of the game with uh, Sir Bobby Charlton, Jeff. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, you know, life is as it is. But yeah, eighty-six years young, winner of the nineteen sixty-six World Cup, uh, one of the Busby Babes, and yeah, survived. The uh, really tragic Munich air disaster played with George Best and, uh, yeah, had an incredible career with 758 games uh, in total. And uh, I think if my squirrely handwriting is correct, 249 goals. So, yeah, we will go further into it. But, yeah, John, what what did you make of that news? It was very sad to hear, Uh, as you said penultimate uh, player of the 66 World Cup winning squad. Um, obviously a legend of the game. And um, it, it seemed to be unexpected, which is obviously quite sad as well. I'm not sure if there was any sort of illness beforehand or whatnot. But yeah, very shocking, very tragic. Sad to hear. Uh, JP, what do you think um, is a fitting tribute to him? Do you think there should be like a statue in Wembley or, yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a huge legend of the game. I mean, a bit before our times so in terms of what he's done, we ne- didn't necessarily see. Um, but from what you see from or and hear from people sort of coming up out now around their tributes, he was obviously a not only a great footballer, but a real good person as well, which I'd say is probably a rarity now in, in football these days in terms of getting a real sort of gentleman in the sport. Um, and so I think based on what people say, he he really kind of reflects that. I think one of the big things for me that I thought was quite sort of impressive around his career, he was obviously part of that um, Munich air disaster in 1958, but overcoming that and winning the World Cup with England in 1966, also being the Ballon d'Or winner in 1966 and mm. 
also winning the Champions League in 1968, I think just shows a huge amount of character and just shows you the kind of person he probably was. Yeah, I think much to your point about him being a gentleman as well, I've heard somewhere that um, he was quite a grounded individual. And uh, I think he, he had a very uh, real family life in terms of, you know, parents that worked as normal, you know, not quite the same sort of, I guess, financial security that players have these days. And uh, I think during the, the semi-final of the World Cup, his dad didn't even want to take the day off work because he thought he'd be pushing his luck by asking for more time off. And that just sort of shows the, uh, the mentality of people back in those days um, when, you know, your country playing in the semi-final of the World Cup and your son's playing and you, you don't want to ask the time off. It's this, yeah, it's a very uh, real example of someone who was very grounded, I think, from a very grounded uh, uh, family. So, yeah. Yeah, from being you know approachable to the Man United players in the dressing room to give them a chin-up after their general hair-dry treatment from Sir Alex Ferguson, I think almost treated them as like a, almost a granddad figure which was uh, really rare and, and kind of not, not many f- clubs have that advantage and uh, leadership, shall we say. Um, to the points raised earlier, I mean, at Copenhagen, they had uh, a tribute banner, which says passion is what separates the good from the great. And that was a phenomenal tribute to him um, at Copenhagen at the behest of the Copenhagen fans. I think, uh, Jeff, you mentioned about fitting tribute, but um, I think it's uh, a rather fitting sort of fun fact that he played his United debut against Charlton, of all teams, which I think is yeah. it's too good to make up, isn't it? That's quite, that is literally top trumps, isn't it? You'd, uh, yeah. you'd be winning at that. Uh, but yeah, um, I guess to to summarise, you know, crazily amazing statistics, who gent uh, and will be sorely missed. And yeah, going to be hard to replicate that uh, example in the future. Another, just um, while we're on this, another interesting fact about him, and it's quite a weird but impressive fact. So in all of those games, he's only ever been cautioned twice. Really? Which is... Which is incredible to think about. That he's only ever received two yellow cards in his whole professional career. There's one player I know that never got a yellow or red card in his whole career. And that's Gary Lineker. Uh, so I wonder, I wonder if on the, uh, the England sort of carding list, if those two would sit at one and two, or if back in the day where you could sort of commit some sort of GBH and get told, oh, enough of that, but I won't give you a yellow card. Whether a few players had better uh, cautionary records or not, but yeah, two two cards for a player who you know, would have got stuck in and whatnot as well. It's very impressive. Uh, so Norwich City put out a really poignant video um, about mental health. Uh, JP, do you want to set the scene? Um, yeah, so um, Norwich have come out with a, I guess, a special video for the World Mental Health Day um, as a bit of a campaign thing. Um, essentially, you've got two guys, I'm assuming season ticket holders for Norwich City, um, turning up to every game each week, every home game. One guy is very sort of chatty, the other other guy sort of slightly quieter, doesn't really say a lot, very unassuming. Um, you kind of see the different emotions of what it's like to support a football team in terms of you can tell when the football team's lost, when they've won, when they've scored a goal, when they've conceded, all the typical emotions. And then quite a very telling part of the video is actually the guy that was very chatty didn't turn up and the unassuming guy then sort of leaves a scarf a Norwich scarf in his seat and unfortunately we can I guess we can all sort of assume what's happened to to the other guy and I think it was and I really encourage our listeners if you've not seen it go and watch it because it's a it's a really good 
sort of video and to bring awareness to sort of mental health and some of the issues um, that that there is with it. And also, I guess the highlight is it's not always obvious when when someone's struggling and to to check in with your mates, make sure they're OK. Um, but for me, I think it was the reason why I think it was so good is I think football for a lot of males uh, and it's generally it's quite a male sort of dominated sport. And I think males will go to a football game as it's generally probably quite their, their sanctuary or their safe space. Uh, I think the statistic for the UK in 2021 was that 15.8 males per 100,000 is the was the suicide rate. And it's considerably higher than than females, um, and so I think a lot of football fans can probably relate to that video. And so, yeah, kudos to to Norwich for doing that. And I would really like to see more football clubs to do maybe a bit more of that, um, and not just sort of on World Mental Health Day. I think it's quite an important topic. So, no, yeah, kudos to to Norwich for that. Yeah, one to really seriously reflect upon. Um, I know, John. What did you? What did you think? What did what did the video make you think, and what emotions did it make that provoked in you when you watched it? Yes, uh, similar to what JP said, I agree with everything he's all said there. But um, one of the things that got me was that you had this one chap who was sort of JP said unassuming and quiet. He actually looked like quite downtrodden and like quite a. It looked like he would be. The person in the story that we would sort of be more cautious of but it was actually the more upbeat and uh, animated and, and the, the louder character and it sort of shows that you don't really know what people are going through um and this isn't just a, a male or, or female or, or you know any of those sort of things it's a just checking in with your mates kind of situation that you know this person was uh, apparently putting on a front the whole time to you're looking to be in a better state than, than they were actually in. Um, it's very sad. I think yeah, we've all experienced some sort of tragedy through mental health, be it directly, indirectly, through family, friends, whatever it may be. Um, and I think it should be more than just a lip service that's paid paid once a day, once a year, sorry, um, from football clubs, from people and whatnot. We, we spend more and more time talking about, you know, inclusivity and watching out for people but mental health is still stigmatized um and i think it, it shouldn't be something that people are afraid to talk about um and i think we need to break down that barrier to allow people to be able to sort of come out and say you know i'm not doing well at the moment or yeah can we just go for a walk and a talk sort of thing and and for males generally i think that's harder than it is because you firstly have to sort of say I'm not doing well. And I think a bit of pride gets in the way of that occasion or a bit of, you know, that, that macho attitude, I think, can get in the way. And similarly, you know, for, for, for females, it can be seen as being overly emotional or something. So it's something that shouldn't be dismissed on either side of the coin. It's something that should be treated seriously. And it's a really, really positive thing that Norwich have put out. Um, it's a great video. I, I hope that more clubs will sort of push it more frequently. 100%. And um, I personally you know, reached out to three people I've not heard from for a while just to check in, see how they're doing. Uh, because it's exactly it's when you least suspect it that unfortunately these things can happen. And luckily, yeah, obviously the three I've reached out to are okay, but you just don't know are they going through burnout? Are they needing space? Could it be some personal thing that's going on that they don't want to share but is affecting them so agreed again to the points before it's going to be hard to disagree but the you know all of that in terms of the video was very poignant that you know people as you said can put on the front and it's not um it's an act essentially you know to hide their real emotion and as as we said before and it's getting better but still got a long way to go Men in particular are wanting to bear the burden of higher levels of responsibility without speaking. And the more, I guess, that the Premier League can do uh, to highlight this, the better. I don't know. Do, do you guys think 
that they should be doing more in the same way you got the kick it out campaign against racism and rightfully so but do you think there should be like a you know speak to your mate check in on how they are type banner or yeah what do you guys think i think for me personally yeah they're equally important um you know responsibilities to be shown for the premier league I think sadly racism is something that's been much more poignant for many, many years and obviously way back with, with all of those issues. But it's something that's still pervasive in sport. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it, it's not completely out of the UK at all, but we are actually probably better as a footballing nation than what some of the Eastern European countries are when it comes to you know, the football chance. You know, Russia, I think, has been quite well known and documented for having some of their uh, their players getting abused on the pitch. I think Vinicius Junior was racially racially abused in Spain. What was it last weekend? It's the fact that we still have those issues is quite damning. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't try and push for more positivity on an overall basis. You've currently got someone like Deli Ali whose career just completely went off of a cliff and then comes out and says, actually, I've been struggling with my mental health for a while. You think actually it's not just the fans that go for, you know, uh, a bit of respite or their safe space or whatnot. The players themselves and, you know, pundits and whatnot, they get, and even the, the officials actually, they all get a lot of yeah. abuse on a regular basis. And the mental health batterings that they all take is, is actually quite disgusting. And, you know, I, I think that people can be passionate without having to be hurtful, without having to say things that, you know, can, can really pile on people. But even just, you know, you know, that wasn't very good can sort of be the straw that breaks the camel's back for some of these players and those that are involved. So it's something that should be pushed more. Um, I think clubs should have, well, I believe they do have psychiatrists and people to help with these things, but it shouldn't just be about sport performance. It should be also be just for their general well-being and whatnot. And then from a fan's point of view, yeah, just the checking with your mate's banner, just just a gentle reminder that it it's okay to not be okay. But it's how you deal with that and leaning on the people that you care about and that care about you is a good way of sort of dealing with the times where you are feeling a bit down and then paying the favour to the people that you care about and you know, just just trying to show support where you can. Yeah, JP. Um, I think from my perspective, rather than the the Premier League pushing i'd like to see the clubs pushing it from their own points of view i think there's a number of campaigns that the premier league have pushed and i'm not too convinced about what effects they've probably had or how effective they are i think for me personally i think it will be more effective if it came from individual clubs um almost almost looking after their own fans really um and, you know, they can come up with real, like, sort of nice initiatives like Norwich. I mean, it'd be good to see Norwich now having done that video. Maybe they sort of come up with some sort of scheme where, you know, if someone is feeling a bit under the weather or, or not feeling great, maybe they have a, a space somewhere within the club that they can go to and, and talk to someone about it or, you know, something like that. So I think... For me personally, I'd really like to see clubs push it more than the Premier League as an organisation. Intrigued to see how this can be funded more because, yeah, lower clubs, it's, it's the pyramid problem, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, being a good corporate social citizen is one point, but then, you know, it's the, it's the commercial viability which I guess could quash uh, this priority perhaps. But, yeah, there's certainly a lot more that can be done at all levels, really including the, you know, even just like thinking about academies, like when, you know, let's say you're 16, you've just been let go by Chelsea and what's the aftercare for, for them, you know, if your dream's just been snatched away? I know um, Trent Alexander-Arnold's having a lot to do with that now. Um, I think he's set up something in Liverpool with exactly with what you're saying for those kids that are you know they've almost committed their life to being a professional footballer they get to that that age and they're told no nah, 
you're not joining, you're not given getting a professional contract with Liverpool. Um, you're now on your own, you know, no qualifications, no plan B. You know, that's a real tough place to be and that can that's not a good scenario to be in. So I know Trent is having a big sort of influence around Liverpool, but you're right, you know, it it's gonna be clubs all over the country. Um so that yeah, huge issue as well. Kudos to Norwich City for, for putting that video out. And uh, yeah, we hope it's the first of many. So yeah, we're now moving on um, to Pine a Pint. Let's hand it over to John. So, <clears throat> Pine a Pint. If you uh, haven't been tuning into the uh, the more recent episodes, I urge you to go back and and hear about this. But effectively, pie bad, pint good. Uh, chaps. I'll start with you, Jeff. Who is getting your pint for the week? Who is getting your pie for the week? And, of course, why? Okay. Um, I think, actually, my pint will be, well, without doing an honorary mention for Sir Bobby Charlton, uh, which we've covered, it will go to Ange Postacodlu. Uh, it's incredible record. So seven wins from nine. It's the best record I think on on record and undefeated Spurs team. We're gonna we may go back to this in later in the episode, so we will see if we if we do. But um, yeah, it's uh, he's provided uh, almost the right kick up the uh, behind uh, of Spurs quite literally because of their fullbacks going that far forward, creating quite the hole in the middle of the park. Um, I think I've got away with saying that. So. Yeah, he's done some very good signings, um, despite you know losing Kane, which we may come back to. Um, so yeah, for this week, the pint is going to be a mead, which is honey. And the pie will go to David Raya. Um, obviously, don't want to pile in on him, given literally our last uh, item, but. Another mistake on the weekend and somewhat inconsistent. Um, just to give the example, the Madrid goal that Chelsea scored against Arsenal. Yeah, we could debate whether that's a cross or a shot. In my view, it's a shot. But uh, Raya was caught off guard and then also playing with fire from the back. And it, it just makes Aaron Ramsdale, he must have the patience of a saint to be watching that going on. Uh, and just being calm maybe he's not inside but yeah it's it's a really tough situation at Arsenal from the goalkeeper point of view the pie this week will be a mushy pea pie that, that sounds like an awful pie but uh, I do think it's deserved and look much to your point we, we play pint and a pie every week it, we play it as a bit of fun we're not here to sort of dig people out and whatnot. But at the end of the day, performances will be scrutinised. We're just trying to make it a more fun bit of scrutiny. Um, and Raya has not been having a good time at the moment, but hopefully he can turn that around, much like Anana, who, who has obviously you know, uh, yesterday had a big moment. But yeah doesn't mean that they're out of the woods yet and those sort of things. Um, JP, pint, pie, why? Um, so my pie for the week, I'm going to give mine to Ashley Young and his sending off in the Merseyside derby. Um, I assume he was brought into Everton for his experience and, and knowledge of the game. And so for him to be getting sent off in a game of that magnitude and that emotion, I think... For that kind of place gets an off is just it's just ridiculous really i mean i'm not impartial to a tackle going in and and getting booked but similar to what we were saying the other week with jota to then go and miss time another tackle once you've been booked is just you just you know you can't do that so really silly from a player of that of that um experience level um so that is 
why I've given Ashley Young my my pie. Um, I guess I could have quite easily given it to the ref, but I thought I'd have a, a week off refs this week, so <laughs> I thought I'd give it to Ashley Young. Um, pint for the week. I was torn with this one, um, and I'm going to give mine to Harry Maguire. Um, I've been quick to, I guess, scrutinise his performances and why he's getting selected for England. I think he's played a couple of games in the week, one in the weekend against Sheffield United and got man of the match and also clean sheets, a clean sheet and uh, the winning goal against Copenhagen in the Champions League. And so I felt, well, if I've been quick to to scrutinise him, I'll be quick to praise him as well. So no, well done, Harry Maguire. Good to see that he's picking up his four four performances and long may that continue. So have a pint on me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's good to hear. I think we might have a uh, a tipsy Harry Maguire by the end of this show then, because I'm also going to be giving him my pint. Um, exactly the reasons you said. I mean, he. I've always found that he's put in a bit of a shift for England, and, and in recent performances, that's kind of dipped as well. He's not been playing regular club football. Um, that's been a bit of a shame, but he has somehow been making the England squad and team. He's He's had two very good games over the last you know, week. Um, well done him, obviously, two clean sheets, the amount of the match performances or, you know, massive contribution in the uh, game with Copenhagen. So also getting the, the pint from me. Uh, pie, now I, I am going to go a bit left field on this one. Um, I'm actually going to pie the international break because, yeah, okay, fine, it's for the Euro qualifiers or the World Cup qualifiers or Conanball and Tonka Cap and all those sort of things. Great, fine. Um, too many of them. And it's disrupted the Premier League and the Bundesliga and the La Liga and the Championship and blah, blah, blah. It's, uh, no, it's incessant. It's, it's far too often. And when you've got a friendly, you know, or uh, a non-important qualifier game, you know, so for the Nations League or something, you just think the players could be either using that time to rest because I think burnout's a real thing. And come the major tournaments, we always wonder why we underperform. That, I think, is a big reason. Um, but also, it's it's just dull. It's just non-competitive, some of the games as well. Like, you know, I'd like to see teams like San Marino and Gibraltar getting a chance to play at the big stage. But having them get beat 6-7-8-0 every week against teams uh, like you know, Spain, Italy, Germany, whoever it might be, it's, it's not giving them any more experience. It's just soul-destroying. And I'm sure that, you know, players that they have who are pretty part-timers in their own right they, they probably look forward to playing against these teams and, and these players. But then also, it must just be, oh, I hope we can keep it below five this week. Then, you know, back to their, their job the next day as a, you know, as a car salesperson, as a bricklayer and things like that, because that's genuinely what, you know, I think San Marino have got, like, as many second-hand cars as they do people or something. Like, they're, they're genuinely, there's a start I heard. And you just think that can't be something that really, like, spurs you on to play more. So, yeah, international break. I'm glad you're back in your box. I know you're coming back out of it in a couple of weeks, but I'll be rooting for you to get back in it again after that as well. And then don't come back out until the Euros for me, I think. I agree with all of that. Yeah. International break's just a bore fest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, aren't you looking forward to North Macedonia versus England on the 20th of November and England versus Malta on the 17th of November? Play the under-21s. <laughs> yeah. I hope that North Macedonia do play the under-21s. It's given we qualified. Yeah. We can, I guess. Harvey Elliott and... Uh, who else have we got? Carl Get the Palmer. other Bellingham brother in there. Oh, Back to Bellingham. Job. <laughs> <laughs> no bias at all, of course. No. Definitely no bias scored? from the well, yeah, he scored twice. <laughs> Not quite on the same level as Jude yet. <laughs> uh, Jude scored Why? twice in the last week. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a good example. You know, play, Joe, play, you know, play some of the youngsters, mix it up a bit. We're qualified, you know, fine. But it's just the fact that the players that we're reliant on are also relied on by their clubs. Just give them a bit of a rest. Um, okay. You know, we, we mentioned that he... he Stuff gets played a second string side against Australia in the, the friendly. 
but it's not to showcase players or give them a chance to break into the squad. So then what's the point of the friendly? Um, you're not doing it to get the team to gel because you're playing a different team in the competitive games. So I just don't really get it, if I'm honest. Actually, um, well, yeah, we've got to congratulate Stephen Gerrard and Jordan Henderson for competing against 700 fans on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, it kind of just um, reiterates what we were saying last week around the, the Saudi league. I mean, I'm not I'm not sure what the other attendances are like or what sort of Ronaldo's bringing into his games, but 700, I think, was it some like a team in Newcastle, like just the local side of Newcastle, whoever they're playing, got more fans? Like Slytherin versus Newcastle Town, yeah. the eighth tier of English football, had 702 fans, whereas El Etifak versus El Riada had 696. Um, yeah, quite astonishing that I've inflated them by four. <laughs> yeah, that that's a close scrape for my pie. Actually, I'll give they'll have a mini mini chicken bullet. That'll be uh, that'll be lovely for Jordan Henderson. But uh, we're still getting in to the England team against Australia. So yeah, um, the international break is somewhat insane. So that's pie and a pint. <laughs> Uh, our final segment of the week is listeners' questions. So, JP, uh, do you want to, to run with that? Yeah, sure. So we've received a couple of listener questions off the back of our, our last episode, so we thought we'd include it as a, as a segment. Um, so I guess sort of moving forward, if anyone does have any listener questions, uh, please sort of submit them through our our um, email address which can be found in in the podcast description and we'll be happy to to discuss them so we've received a couple which are potentially um, a little bit provocative and might cause a spark a bit of discussion this week so question one guys for for this week why are spurs a better team without harry kane so a very, oh, a very provoked. controversial one. <laughs> I do feel provoked by that question. <laughs> so I guess what we'll do is we'll start with Jeff to give his opinion on that question. Thank you. They are my uh, pints. So, yeah, as we said, seven wins from nine. Um, I think the way they're doing this is, is partly angible. So you'll see most teams play out from the back as a three. And they've... What they've done is they've pushed up as a two and then their fullbacks are really high up, reducing space on the wings. And uh, I don't know if you've seen Van der Van who joined in the summer, but his average speed, I think in the in the league he was there before, his average speed was 22 miles per hour. So he's up there as the speediest centre-backs in the Premier League, being a, a really good combo with Romero. And then, uh, yes, yeah, so we have Udogi and Porro producing a lot of space in able to get the ball from the back and then that will feed Madison who has literally got the best supply chain network in the country that's better than uh, most stuff that's stuck at Dover right now and uh, yeah is a really good supply for Son and also where possible Richarlison it just seems they're scraping wins but you see that they beat Man United and they very luckily scraped a win against Liverpool. But yeah, they, they're also, you know, supplying uh, Basuma. Son has probably stepped up in his duties as captain. Um, since losing Kane, he's been an absolute rock and roll model for that club. Uh, and Madison has been uh, super influential with his leadership. So that's my few cents on Spurs. Some really good points there, there Jeff. I think kind of what you're saying around, I guess, the, that defensive four is, and with Basuma is that sort of Tottenham have almost upgraded their defence. So although they're winning, they're now more solid as a team and they're harder to, to break down and defeat. Um, I guess also with the, the lucky win against Liverpool that you mentioned, they also got, I guess, a, a luckyish win against Sheffield United as well. But I guess maybe and just sort of change the 
I guess the character around the club um, and the confidence. So, and yeah, like you said, maybe it's an Ange factor as well. So, no, some good points in there. How about you, John? Um, less detailed than probably what Jeff went to on this. I wonder if there was too much reliance on Kane, and he was the star man. He was the person always being looked out for, and as a result, the rest of the team, bar maybe Son and Budzelski to an extent as well, weren't really putting in the performances they should have been at times and were reliant on him sort of dragging them through. Um, not to say that he was always, you know, on top of his game either. Occasionally he would, you know, sort of go wandering and stuff, but more often than not, he was the one that would be pulling them out of the situations they found themselves in. I think Ange's a massive factor um, and Ange Ball is, you know, clearly working for them. The mentality that he's got and that he's instilled on the team is that, you know, we need to win. Um Seeing players like Basuma playing to the uh, the quality that they were, you know, a couple of seasons back when he was at Brighton, that's the player that we sold to Spurs. That's been reignited underneath him, so it's good to see that. But ultimately, I think it's a it's a combination of, as you, as you both all said, <clears throat> it's the upgraded players, the Madisons, you know, the the defense as a whole has been upgraded. Um, I think also the fact that they don't have one player that they're sort of looking for, but rather a whole team that's Putting in the performances under a manager who's accepting nothing less than to to win. Yeah, some really good points. I definitely agree with you both around the whole Angel tactics and the way he's now getting Tottenham to play football. I think when you look back at their their other managers, Conte and Mourinho, who are more typically defensive minded, um, I'm, I'm not too sure they had the players in the defence to to play that way, and and so. Like Jeff's saying, they've now sort of almost upgraded their defence. And they've, I mean, I think it's all the way Ange plays football with Tottenham is almost an upgrade from what they were playing in terms of that sort of high press, that high energy football. I guess this is a slightly different take to John, might be a bit controversial in terms of how I say it, but I think Tottenham are more balanced without Harry Kane. And it kind of links back to were the other, were, were the players like Son. Richarlison, Kulisevsky actually stepping up to their roles when Kane was there. But equally, I do think that Kane also was trying to do too much. But it was almost—it might be because you know he was trying to make up for for the the other players. And I know we sort of we praise him a lot around him sort of being able to play that pass from in deep and and things like that. I think at times last season with Tottenham, with him dropping back they almost missed that person up top. So when he was looking to turn around and play that pass, it was like, was that sort of play quite not there? And I actually think for England, it works really well because you, when you look at Jude Bellingham, he almost makes the run past Bellingham um, Kane when he he drops deep and he's then available for that pass. Um, so I think there's an argument to say that Tottenham are probably a bit more balanced. I think you've now got James Madison in that role where he is the the creative midfielder he's created 29 chances this season already and he's just a class act within that midfield and you've now got son who is that dedicated striker looking to make those runs so i think in the grand scheme of things and i'm not trying to say harry kane's bad or he was a bad fit because he was an un- he's an un- unbelievable player and, he- and he's world class i truly believe he's the best striker in the world at the moment um i just think on the whole they're just a more balanced side I agree with all of that. Um, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's actually controversial at all because I think that is spot on. They are much more balanced without Kane because, as you say, they're not reliant on him, but also he's dropping deep to play a ball that he'd want to be receiving himself. They've effectively taken Kane, broken him down into multiple different players' roles. They've got Madison playing his sort of playing from deep passing and whatnot. Then you've got the players like Son playing that dedicated striker role where you'd need him before. Um, also, to your point, I think that he's better than any individual in that Tottenham team still. But I think the team is performing better without him at the moment. And, you know, come May next year, we might be saying, well, would you believe it? They've, they've won the title, the, the season that Kane's gone. All the wheels could fall off completely. You know, time will tell. I don't think it'll be the latter, but I don't necessarily see them being able to quite maintain this momentum for the whole season just yet. I'd 
wouldn't mind being proven wrong at all. It'd be great to see a new, yeah, you know, new team winning the, the title. But would you yeah. would you class them as a title contender at the moment? Undefeated in nine, and they've won seven of them. Why not? They they're one of the traditional big six. Um, if Arsenal can be considered it, then why can't Spurs? Jeff, how about you? I think it will, the wheels will come off against City in December. December third. They're very good against City usually, Jeff. But it's, it's the one um, team they usually have a field day against every season that no one expects them to. It could be. Um, I don't know, and might run out of puff for his lungs. <laughs> Need a few inhalers to to blow up against Pep. But yeah, I I don't think they have the sustainability if they have a few injuries. Kulusevski, you know, Son's had a few injuries in the last few years, and. Um, I'm not sure they've got the depth on the bench to sustain this, so I think they'll be overtaken by Liverpool. I, um, I guess a follow-up question to this, and we may get the last one on on this topic. I saw, saw, I think it was Clinton Morrison said, or one of the Sky Sports pundits said, Tottenham are a Harry Kane away from winning the league or winning a major trophy. Agree or disagree? Start with Jeff. I would say no. Uh, it's to do with the balance of the team. Guys, point. I don't think that will help. It will disrupt the balance substantially, and I'm not sure there'll be there'll be su- supposed flow. They've been, I guess, reliant upon quite free flowing football, and that might push them into a set piece form. Despite Madison, obviously. But yeah, that's my... Uh, I fundamentally disagree with that because they literally had Harry Kane until the summer. And don't get me wrong, the, the squad wasn't as strong as what it was, but, you know, you can't say that a team is a Harry Kane away from being a title-challenging squad when everything's working at the moment. If he was in the team or not, the difference could be a maximum of, you know, two extra wins instead of two draws. So it's not as if they're, they're miles away from it so far. Um, also, who, who do you drop and how do you reshift that team to let Kane into it? You know, most to your point, JP, Kane is a quality player, but the balance of the team is working at the moment. You don't want necessarily your striker playing in that sort of Pirlo role. Rooney did it towards the latter end of his career and, and you start thinking, actually, you, you don't need a striker playing that deep. You need a striker playing as a striker. And if you're going to have a striker that's dropping off, you need one that's going to stay up there. So having Son playing that dedicated forward role instead of Kane means that you no longer have Son out on the left. If you don't have Son on the left, that's where Richarlison can fit in. You know, he's maybe finding a little bit of form. We would see that carrying on. But do you, you put Kane in the squad and you drop Richarlison, put Son out on left, and then you don't have a striker? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm fundamentally disagreeing with him. No, I think that's going to be a clean sweep on that one. So I think what we can take from that is Sky Sports are are talking out their ass again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, we'll move on to our second listener question. And this is, again, quite an interesting one. Um, Should Haaland have selected to play for England over Norway? Um, He was born in Leeds, so I guess he he was born in in the UK. I believe at the age of three, he moved back to Norway where he grew up, played for sort of all his football in Norway, etc. Um, I mean, what a um, coup that would have been if he decided to join for England. But um, Jeff, what's your thoughts? Should Haaland have slipped to play for England? Would he have had more success than if he plays for Norway? Yeah, I know his, his middle name does, does elicit the point. Um, so yeah, it's, it's 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 Erling Noah, Oliver, George, Arthur, Freddie, Harry, Harlan, um, which are the most popular names up in Leeds, according to the Yorkshire Evening Post, which John loves reading when he's not writing an annual report for his company. So um, Erling Harland, he probably would have got a lot more success, and and perhaps yeah, it, it he was born there, but his heritage uh, is Norway. His dad, even though, yeah, played for, was it Leeds and Man City, famously getting the clobber from Roy Keane, which is worse than a citizen's arrest. 
had uh, a crazily, um, you know, promising career, but obviously cut short by injury, and obviously his son Erling. Um, yeah, it's, it's, he's Norway born and bred. He's a Viking. He probably could have got more success for England, but that's not been borne out just yet. Could have he been the difference against France and uh, Italy? Yes. Um, we wouldn't have been shedding a tsunami of tears after the French defeat, which I'll never stop banging on about on this podcast. When we were all in France, in a centre parks, watching England lose with the French commentary on. I still have nightmares about that. Um, John? Um, as an Englishman, yeah, of course, Ireland should have played for England. If I was more neutral about it, I... I'm glad he hasn't picked to play for England because it, I, I think that he, he is Norwegian. I think he identifies as being a Norwegian before being an Englishman. Um, I think if he had chosen to play for England over Norway just purely for the potential sort of accolades that could come with it, that would have been a shame because you then wouldn't really be winning for your nation. You'd be winning for your second nation. Um, there's, you know... Norway might still win something before England do. We we haven't won anything since '66 on the men's side of thing, um, but Denmark proved in '92 the Euros that it could be done. Greece did it in 2004 in the Euros. So you know these these tournaments can happen. Norway might still be more successful than England over the course of his career. He could be a big part of that. Um, and also, you have the hook, line, and sinker on the middle names there, Jeff. And I actually had to look it up to make sure that I hadn't completely misremembered his 15 middle names that you had uh, gone through there. So thanks for that. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on the, on the um, Erling Haaland situation. I think, although it'd be lovely for him to be, be an English, English player, I think when you sort of grow up for the majority of your, your childhood and, well since the age of three, growing up within Norway, playing in the sort of Norwegian grassroots and going through the levels, I think, yeah, it's, I think it's always a shame when, when a player sort of goes against that nation or decides to pick a, another nation that they haven't sort of been brought up in or, uh, and et cetera. So I think in terms, in terms of that respect, I think it'd be, I think he's made the right choice and totally agree. I think, I mean, if he did choose England, I mean, we then come on to a scenario around who do you play up front? Is it Harry Kane or Erling Haaland? That was going to be my <laughs> question. Who, who drops off? Because do you have Kane play the role that Bellingham's now playing? And then, you know, realistically, I'm glad I wouldn't be the one picking between Kane and Bellingham because I wouldn't want either of those to be dropped. But then can you play Kane and Haaland side by side? Then do you not play wingers? No Saka, no Rashford, no Grealish, no Foden. You know, the possibilities are, you know, as tasty as they are, they actually cause a lot of headaches, I think. Yeah, and... I'd, I'd drop Maguire. <laughs> I mean, Haaland is, what, six foot three, built like a unit, could probably defend. Why not? Kane, he could probably play that role as well. So let's just play, you know, a. Zero one nine formation, and we'll just score more than the opposition. Zero one nine, nine strikers. You mean? Or... Absolutely. I'd rather win seven <laughs> six than one nil. I mean, come on, think of the neutrals. Think of the fans. <laughs> trying to get a rugby score. Uh, we try. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> we need to glove the international break somehow. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um. I think also, you know, players that choose to play for a different nation, uh, as I sort of mentioned, it's about how they identify and stuff. You've, you've got, you know, a Norwegian footballer who is born from two Norwegian people. Um, they will ultimately probably, as a family, identify as being Norwegian. So that's one thing. But, uh, you know, Diego Costa is an example I can think of who was you know, Brazilian born in Brazil but ended up playing for Spain. I think he spent a lot of his career playing in Spain with, you know, the likes of Atletico and whatnot. Um, I can understand that. But at the same time, I would find it very difficult if I worked or lived or played in France for seven years to, you know, to, to play for France over England. Yes, fine, it might be a better team, but I'd have to feel French. I'd have to identify as being French before anything else. And 
for me, you know, English and whatnot, that's the part of my identity. I wouldn't be able to do that. So I think for him, you know, and similarly, would he have developed into the player that he has done today if he had stayed in England and ended up playing for England as well? Yeah, yeah. Very good point, actually. I guess it's good. it'll be a sort of a completely different system in terms of how the the English sort of academies are set up and we know how ruthless they can be. It's like, would he, does he even get picked up at all in that whole thing? So, no, you're completely right. You know, he's gone through that grassroots and academy thing with Norway. They've identified him and developed him into the player he is now. So, yeah, I think it's probably only right that he, you know, he plays for, plays for Norway. But we're going to go to Fantasyland anyway. Erling Haaland plays for England. <laughs> Do England win a Euros or a World Cup? Or if we already had him, would we have already won a Euros or a World Cup with him in our squad? We'll start with John. Um, as he's only 23, I'm going to say not by this point. But in the next six years, you would have Haaland in his prime playing alongside Bellingham in his prime with Saka in his prime with Foden, who you know, still, I think, has another gear to push it up to. You've still got Rashford at a relatively sort of young age. Um, I think it's possible. And I say possible because it's all but inevitable that a team that good should perform at the biggest tournaments. We've seen the likes of Belgians, you know, Belgium's golden generation not do it. England's golden generation couldn't do it before, but that team would do some serious damage to anyone who gets in their way. Mm. So Almost feels like a platinum generation, that squad, doesn't it? (laughs) It's it's almost a step up, you know, when you list out the players like that, because we've all had some, some good players and squads and stuff but that's just next level isn't it Bellingham yeah. and Haaland and Saka I mean even that if that was just your your front two and a half crikey I mean salivating at the idea <laughs> Jeff does Erling Haaland turn England into major tournament winners yes we would have won already I can see Wow. There was a lot of pressure going on Hernandez and uh, Varane back in that that was the infamous French game, which I could never stop talking about because this is like therapy. But yeah, we would have caused that defence to be like a creme brulee, like a croque monsieur, like a snail that's just been uh, ever so slightly bitten. Um, that's a bad example, but yeah, I think you can hear my point. I think we would have won something already. And... Next time, it would be even more tantalising uh, with all the supreme uh, youth and uh, pace that we have, as as John mentioned, Saka, Foden, etc. So I think we'd have won something already. Um, I don't know, J- JP, do you think it's um, something we would have done as well? Do you reckon we would be on track? to? Would we be the world number one right now? Yeah, it'd be hard to see how we wouldn't be. Um, I think if you put Erling Haaland in that team, he's obviously had links with Bellingham before. I know he's not in the side, but if he was, Sancho also. Um, But yeah, I think, to be honest, I think it'd be absolutely scandalous if a squad like that wasn't to win a major tournament. That I mean, like John sort of listed out, and yourself, Jeff, that would be a, a scary, scary team. And if they didn't get anything out of that that would just be i mean i would class it as a as a big i guess failure um <laughs> to put it bluntly um, i mean i know some people probably say that around the golden generation but i think that squad is just a different kettle of fish to me yeah, i guess you're envisioning that aren't you a bellingham harland academy well <laughs> follow-up question <clears throat> and much to the golden generation issue that we had do you get all of those players playing in the same team efficiently? Because I think that's where we fell short in the uh, the Senor and Eriksson and Capello eras. Yeah, I think yeah, I think where we kind of mentioned before the the imbalance would come. I think for me with the whole Harry Kane Harland situation, I think you can only play one of them. 
it's almost like Steve and Gerard Lampard trying to fit them both into the same side. And actually the balance wasn't there. They both try and do the same things and both very similar kind of kind of players. For me, I think with the other players we have in the team, like your Foden's, Bellingham, Saka's, all those kind of technical players, I think having we would only be able to have it one or the other in terms of Haaland or Kane on the pitch at the same time. Unless it was sort of getting to the dynamics of a knockout game and we needed a goal, I could then see maybe both of them being on the pitch, but that's just my take on it. <laughs> you you would honestly pick and choose out of those two. You wouldn't play them both. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. I'd have to. <laughs> who, who who gets in for you? Kane or Haaland? For me it's Haaland. Oh, <laughs> Jeff? Kane, but then Harland on as an impact sub. <laughs> oh, it's crazy when you put it like that. Harland or Kane as an impact sub. I mean, it's, that is a brutal decision to have to make. I think you can find a way of playing them both, but I think you need Kane to effectively be playing out of position because Harland is as traditional of a striker as what I think he gets. He's like Gary Lineker on steroids. He is a proper poacher, but not just in around the box, nothing else. It's just like he, he's quick, he's strong, he's tall, he's agile. He's He plays like Zlatan mixed with, I don't know, Giro or something like that. Like he, he's got those sort of abilities, um, but I guess he doesn't do anything necessarily spectacular. He just scores. He's just in the right place. So, yeah, I think it'd be Kane for me. I'm siding with Jeff on this one. And not because I think that Kane's a better footballer than Haaland, um, although overall I probably do, which I didn't think I'd say. But uh, I just think that Kane offers a bit more. Um, but I would, I would absolutely be trying to get both in my team. Yeah, so, so would you have Kane dropping back to be more yeah. defensive almost? Not defensive, but I think be more of a playmaker. Playmaker. I think he does that naturally anyway, and I just think it would be sort of um, having him dropping back behind, playing the passes through to Haaland and and sort of having Haaland play the other side of that Kane role because you know where Haaland's going to be. It's going to be in and around the 18 or six yard box. He's going to be where you expect him to be and he's going to score. It's just what he does. I mean... Whilst we're recording this, he's just scored another penalty. So, you know, yeah, as sure as grass is green and water's wet, Haaland scores goals. But I don't think it makes him a better footballer than what Kane is. I don't think he offers quite as much what Kane does. But then he also got some obscene amount of goals, also 36, 35 or something in the Premier League last season alone. Smashed the records in his first year because he just scores goals, what he does. That's what you need from a striker, more often than not. But hey, I'd love for them to both be in English and playing at the same time, and it would have been a nice problem to have. Yeah, it's great living in fantasy land, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what other players can we nab from uh, fantasy land? I heard that Mbappe might have a long lost grandmother or something that was part English. <laughs> we'll get him out on the left wing, and then we've solved all of our problems for this strike force, haven't we? Yeah, definitely. Well, it sounds like um, uh, it was, I think it was in one of the adverts for one of the World Cups where it's almost they had a factory crane, all these different players playing for the same team. It's almost like the ultimate dream team. I think I feel like that's the point that we're at now. Oh, who can we nick and who can yeah. we create for England? But it sounds um, like a Pepsi advert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Other beverages are available. This is not sponsored by Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, no, thank you. Um, for submitting your questions, I, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed enjoyed that. I think mm. that sparked some good discussion. So, any questions, please do send them into the Two Cents Fully podcast email address. Back to you, Jeff. Awesome. That's it for this week. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Uh, in particular, this weekend we've got the Manchester derby. Um, so we want to be covering that definitely but yeah we welcome any further questions um so yeah 
JP and John, thanks again. Good to see you. Good to see you too. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, hope to see you next time on the Two Cents Footy podcast. See you soon. Cheers, guys. Bye.